Our second scripture lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to John chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew Bethzatha, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been sick a long time, he said to the man, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, stand up, take your mat and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your mat. But he answered them, The man who made me well said to me, Take up your mat and walk. This too is the word of God for the people of God. Everyone has a different sermon writing process. Everyone has something or another that they're particularly good at or they particularly struggle with. For me, it's beginnings. Finding just the right opener is what takes me the most time. And it was no different for this morning. I tossed around a lot. I rolled some things around in my head, but I kind of came up empty. So I had sort of decided that I was just going to dive right in to the narrative for this morning. But I realized something last night. There are three guests in the congregation this morning, and I did not tell them I was going to do this, so sorry. Um, but there are three guests here this morning, um, and it is my dad and my youth leaders from when I was a high schooler who were my church parents. And it occurs to me that it is because of these three people that I'm here at all. I am able to stand and speak about grace because of my father. I recognize the voice of Jesus calling me up off my mat because Gary and Wendy showed me who Jesus was through their lives. I heeded the call of Jesus because the three of them have been loving and encouraging me for a very long time. And it's right, then, that here on this particular Sunday, they're here. So if you are moved at all by this sermon, first recognize and thank the power of the Holy Spirit, but second, you can thank those three people. But if it totally bombs, that's their fault, and you can take it up with them. <laughs> anyway, the man that Jesus encounters at the pools of Bethzatha or Bethesda has been trying for years to get into the waters that hold the potential for healing. For 38 years, he's been struggling with illness, and so he has had to work every day trying to pull his body into the pools. The man has seen other people, strangers and acquaintances, climb into the water, and on more than one occasion, he has watched someone 
who was more able or has more help cut in front of him and take his place. He has tried and he has failed for years. And along comes Jesus, asking this man if he wants to be healed. And Jesus is a stranger to this man. The man on the mat has no context, no idea who Jesus is. And so I try to imagine how insulting and how cruel that must have felt. Do you want to be healed? As if he hadn't been trying, as if he hadn't been on that mat day after day, searching for someone to help him into the waters as if he hadn't been pulling his body forward to the pools only for someone else to take his place. How dare anyone suggest that he doesn't want to be rid of this illness? And perhaps that's just my own hang-up because the man simply and politely tells Jesus the truth of his story, that he has, to that point, been unable to get himself into the healing waters for one reason or another, which is possibly worth noting, doesn't actually answer the question of whether or not he wants to be made well, which I suppose is an admission that he can't find wellness on his own. And so Jesus heals him. It is fully hands-off, as many of Jesus's healings are. Jesus instructs this man to get up, to take his mat, and walk at once, immediately, This man who has been sick for 38 years is made well, well enough to stand, well enough to gather up his mat and walk away. It's miraculous. And it is always striking to me that in these episodes of healing, Jesus speaks and people are made well. The blind see, the lame walk, demons are expelled, the dead rise. Jesus speaks healing into existence, echoing, of course, the power of the Creator God who spoke the world into existence and cementing Jesus' relationship with that Creator. Now, some of the Jews, and it's safe to assume that they're some of the religious leaders, they notice this man who is carrying his mat, and that is a no-no on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was set apart. It was holy. For six days, the Lord, in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and all that was, in, was within them. And then God rested on the seventh day. So no labor on the Sabbath, none. The commandment says no. So seriously, guy, carrying your mat, don't do it. Absolutely do not carry your mat on the Sabbath. But of course, the Jewish leadership is missing the point. They're missing this miraculous thing that has happened. They see a man carrying his things, laboring on the Sabbath day, but they don't see a man who has been afflicted for 38 years, walking around freely with enough strength in his body to carry something. It is amazing, and the religious leaders miss the point. The narrow focus of these men To only see disobedience means that they miss out on an encounter with divine power, with grace. The Jewish leaders, they confront this man about his disobedience to the commandment, and he points them to the man who healed him. The man who made me well told me to take my mat and walk. And he doesn't know that it was Jesus, but soon enough, further down in this chapter, the leadership finds Jesus 
and they confront him for doing such things on the Sabbath. And then, of course, Jesus starts to refer to himself as the Son of God, which does nothing to help his reputation. And this, of course, is not the only story of Jesus healing on the Sabbath. There are multiple occasions in all of the Gospels that Jesus performs a healing on the Sabbath day, and it is always to the chagrin of religious leadership. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there is an account of Jesus healing a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, which causes the Pharisees to conspire against Jesus. Luke 13, Jesus heals the hunched woman in the synagogue on the Sabbath, which the leader of the synagogue loved. And then in John 9, Jesus heals a man who was blind from birth, which produces the typical response from the typical people. So healing on the Sabbath is kind of a thing for Jesus, and why is that? Why does Jesus heal on the Sabbath so many times, especially when he knows that he's going to come up against opposition? Perhaps Jesus is trying to teach people something. Maybe Jesus is making a statement on the purpose of Sabbath. Underlying all of Jesus's Sabbath healings and the contentious encounters that follow is the idea that some things, some very specific things, are more important than strict adherence to the commandment. Jesus values the lives of humans over what the Jewish leadership sees as obedience. When he heals the woman in Luke, he calls the leader of the synagogue a a hypocrite and says, And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from bondage on this Sabbath day? And when the Pharisees are angry and conspiring against Jesus in Matthew, Jesus invokes the prophet Hosea, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus sees a man who has been afflicted with an illness for 38 years, And it's the Sabbath day, which is supposed to be kept holy, and so Jesus heals him. Who is the Sabbath for? What is the point of the Sabbath? What good is the Sabbath if it creates such narrowness, such rigidity, that there's no room for healing or mercy or for grace? The law and adherence to it cannot stand over and above the concern and care for humanity. Jesus won't stand for it. People, men and women, and their quality of life, their dignity, their humanity, have to take priority. Jesus is, in effect, redefining what Sabbath means, what it means to keep that particular day holy. Sabbath isn't about not laboring not carrying our mats, not doing anything as a way to check off an obedience box, but rather it is a place where rest is found, rest and healing and mercy and grace. The Sabbath is kept holy by coming in to the presence of God. Now, as Presbyterians, we don't put a lot of emphasis on the Sabbath, not like others do. Sure, we worship on Sunday mornings, and that's kind of it. And I know that I'm not the only one that leaves this sanctuary only to run off to do several dozen other things. I know I'm not the only one that doesn't find Sundays particularly restful. 
And now this isn't where I launch into all of the reasons we overschedule Sundays and how problematic that is for Christians. I'm not going to berate or shame you or myself, for that matter, for how we use our time, because we're trying to get away from a rigid understanding of the Sabbath. But I do think that we need to admit that we have a complicated relationship with rest, which means we also have a complicated relationship with Sabbath. My friend Nate, he tells this story a lot from when he was a teenager. Nate grew up and is still Methodist, or not Methodist, Mennonite, very different, Mennonite. He um, and his youth group, they traveled from their home in Kansas to Appalachia for a, a mission trip. Now, Nate's youth group was made up with a bunch of farm kids who knew how to work, knew how to use tools, knew how to put in an honest day's work. Partway through the week, the mission organization that they were working for pulled the adults aside and told them that their food budget had been basically thrown out the window because these kids were eating more than any group they had ever seen. And the adults had to have a discussion about whether or not they could realistically ask these teenagers to eat less. And in the end, they let the kids eat as much as they wanted because in their words, who cares how much they eat? They're getting more work done than any group we have ever hosted. Now, Nate's group, they wore that as a badge of honor. But now, as an adult, he looks back on that story and realizes how much it shaped who he became. We tend to live in this cycle of work hard, receive reward, and repeat. A youth team works hard. They told that they're special, they receive affirmation and love, and they work harder the next day. We put in hard hours at our job. We get a promotion. We make more money. We feel good. We work hard tomorrow. It's not a terrible cycle. It isn't necessarily telling us a bad story, this way of living. Work, reward, repeat, it helps us define ourselves, it empowers us, it pushes us forward. But this story, this way of living, it depends entirely on our own effort, and it leaves little to no room for failure. In other words, it is a story that is devoid of grace. And I think to find a story, to find a better cycle of life that is grace-filled, we need rest. Rest cuts against the cycle of work, reward, repeat. Rest helps us to hear a story of grace that is waiting for us. Rest, however, is not easy. I know you know this. Rest can become one other thing that we put on our checklists. I can make myself crazy. I'm trying to be better about giving myself rest. I I try so hard to do self-care right sometimes that it makes me even more stressed out. After Christmas, um, I put on a face mask and I put lavender oil in my diffuser and laid in bed, which I'd sprayed with this lavender pillow spray, and I thought to myself, if this does not relax me, I'm fully going to flip out. (laughs) When I need rest to be an escape from life, rather than an entry into life, it becomes a marginal thing that I may or may not ever get to. When Jesus heals this man in the pools, he is not helping him escape his life. He is, in fact, providing this man an entry into the fullness of life, one where he is freed to take up his mat 
and walk. Rest is an entry into life with God. Rest, real Sabbath rest, is an integral part of God's being. It is holy because our Creator started it. God chose to rest after the work of creation, and then God chose to invite humanity to share in that rest through the commandments. Not because we have to, not because it's a rule meant to be followed, but because God invites us in to Sabbath, into a new story. And God's story of Sabbath, it doesn't do away with work or the pleasure of working hard at work worth doing. It's a story that puts our work into perspective. It is a story of rest and grace. And grace, it disrupts us. It provides us with this extraordinary promise, right, that before we ever existed, before we could do anything to earn it, we're loved. The man at the pools of Bethesda, through all of his laboring, could never have earned or found the kind of peace and grace and healing and love that Jesus offered him by telling him to stand up and carry his mat. Imagine, we are God's beloved children, not because of what we achieved or what we will ever achieve, not because we've earned it, not because we got enough work done, not because our ducks are all in a row, but because God graciously called us, formed us, and named us God's children. Because of this, we may actually lay our burdens down. We can set aside our work, the lesser gods that tempt us to look at them as the source of our identity. We can even lay down our Sabbath rules, right? These regulations. We can behold the work of God from creation to exodus to incarnation to cross to resurrection. That is what is on offer in the Sabbath. That is what Jesus is calling us toward when he does the work of healing on that Sabbath day. Friends, our existence, it does not begin with what we can accomplish, and it won't end with what we have achieved. We are not defined by our ability or inability to get ourselves into the healing waters of the pool at the Sheep Gate. We are here because God made us, here because God loves us, and because God calls us God's own, and because the Son of God looks at us in love and tells us to stand up, take our mats, and go. Amen.